0: Let's go. let's go! Come on, everybody, and
1: let's get to pumping, cause it's the way the time, baby. Rip City is jumping now. Okay, Randall, up the middle. Hit. Oh. Oh. Hey. Right. Come on, everybody!
0: All right, everybody, welcome to the 89th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man
1: Sage chilling in Southern Oregon. And uh, man, your boy is a two-time. 2K champion in uh, Southern Oregon for uh, Last Shot Tournament Northwest. Two-time champion, man.
0: You got that title belt?
1: Well, not a title belt, but I do have the brackets. I got a first round bye because I was the returning champion, and I got first pick of my team. Uh, No Warriors or Cavs, and uh, I picked the Rockets, which... Kind of started beef between a homegirl I have and I, because she thinks the Rockets are lame and I shouldn't be them, but... I second that sentiment I, I wholeheartedly. Felt, I felt gross being them, I was mighty gross on the 2K court as well, though. So, shout out to you, Joe. But yeah, man. Had to get that victory before I went up to Portland tomorrow... Uh, no, Tuesday. So... You know, I had a business, bro. No round round everybody in that tournament, which means I didn't lose once. Well, the
0: Blazers basically had your version of 2K on opening night. Oh, uh, man,
1: they yeah, yeah, they, they, ha- they definitely no round round the Suns, bro, for sure.
0: A, f- a 124-76 victory in Phoenix over the Suns. The 48-point victory was the largest margin of victory on opening night across... Any NBA team ever in existence, and it was the worst loss ever delivered. Um, it was it was Phoenix's worst loss they've ever been um, handed, and it was Portland's second largest margin victory of all time. It would have been the largest had that, you know, prayer three by Portland's own Mike James uh, not fallen through the net, but it did regardless. I mean, we were up 58 points at one time. It it was almost – we were one bucket away from doubling them up, 120 to 60. Just think of how incredible that was. And they did it without CJ McCollum, which I was honestly a little worried. We didn't have CJ. It was an opening night for for the opposition, which means they were pumped up. It was an arena that we have historically not played well in. And the Suns got out to that 9-2 lead capped by that Josh Jackson fast break dunk. And I was like, oh, boy, we are in for a dogfight. And all of a sudden, Pat fucking Connaughton comes in after Mo Harkless gets in foul trouble, and uh, Alan Crabb, who,
1: oh my god, that, like that was insane. He shot that first three so confidently, and it went through. It's it's weird seeing a regular season sh- sharpshooter actually shoot as soon as he touches the ball. There's a lot of – I mean, we had, we dealt with Alan Crabb for like three years with the Hezies, the the dribbles, and then the getting out of rhythm, and then he passes it. So seeing a dude that just shoots and it's confident, it was a beautiful thing.
0: He had it stuck on automatic. He had a career-high 24 on 9 of 14 from the field, including 4 of 7 from downtown. And I was telling Olga this. I think it was after the second or third preseason game. But his shot looks a lot more compact. There's a lot less movement, and that's allowing him to get it up much quicker. And there's a lot less um, margin. There's a lot more margin for error. So he, he's just using a lot of muscle memory to just do quick, simple movements. It's almost like Clay Thompson just catches and just goes straight up. And you're kind of seeing that with Pat, and I don't know what he did, but he just looks like, you know when you're you're slouching and somebody's like, you know, watch your posture, it looks like he's just gotten more vertical on his shot, and he just jumps straight up, and he is shooting it with so much more confidence that every time he shoots, I'm already thinking this is cash, like this is automatic. And if he can replicate what Alan Crabb did at, what, a 20th of the cost you know, all of a sudden, that, that deal to send Kraft to Brooklyn looks a lot better.
1: Mm-hmm. And then to cut Anthony Morrow, which, you know, if you've listened, wanted- you listened to the last podcast that was a week late, you know I was pretty gung-ho about. So, I mean, that first game and then the confidence that led over to the second game, like, it made me not a believer, but at least I, it made me think he can do it. He, he has the ability to do it, and that's, in, you know a good thing
0: we've all witnessed the Andre Miller 52 point game against Dallas Tony Delk at one point in his career put up 51 points those had a sense of flukiness to them they were just in the zone I'm not saying Pat Connaughton's gonna average 24 a night or even 15 but the shots he was making and the moves he was creating on the court felt completely in rhythm absolutely it felt completely within his his repertoire Mm. And that is a great sign if you're a Trailblazer fan because it seems like he should be able to to duplicate this, you know, over the course of the season because he is he's firmly in that rotation. Like we were debating, if Stott's going to go nine or ten guys? But regardless, he's he's that fourth guard.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like he like they weren't outrageous shots. Like if you watch the Pelicans. Warriors game a few nights ago you saw Jordan Crawford hit some amazingly difficult shots. That wasn't him. That wasn't Pat. He was hitting stuff in rhythm and that like that I don't know like before that game I thought he was trash but watching him in that game I'm like maybe we shouldn't throw him away yet. And that's a good thing for his career, his NBA career.
0: Another you know, welcome back moment for me was, was Ed Davis. And he, he had to come in early. Nurkic didn't really have it going at all. I know Nurk ended up with a double, double 11 and 11, but seven of those 11 points came at the free throw line. He only shot two of seven and he had five turnovers. Uh, So he had a, a rocky outing in 23 minutes, but Ed Davis in 14 minutes was four of seven from the field, 10 points, seven boards and, you know, maybe really important for him. He was a perfect two of two at the line, which has been a kind of a a pain point for him throughout his career. He looked like the Ed Davis that first year we got him in Mm. 2015, 2016, the Ed Davis we were man crushing on nearly every single podcast. I mean, he was dunking on people. He was flexing. He looked healthy. He looked like he was having a good time. And I was kind of thinking, you know, Ed might be used as trade bait. He's an expiring contract. We've got new rookies. We still have Von Le. You know, Minu can play some for Like, Ed, to me, was kind of looking like the odd man out, just given the contract and the youth movement the team has somewhat going on right now. But if he can continue to produce as he has already in the season, I mean, he was <sighs> trying to look at the, the, the Pacer stat line right now, but it looks like, he had seven points, nine boards uh, against the Pacers, and also six and eleven against the Bucks. So, if if he can continue this, this is exactly this is exactly what what Portland needs off of their bench.
1: Yeah, that third big production. Yeah,
0: the third big. They they need those guys. He's gonna clean the glass though, and I think that's where Portland is is so dangerous is they have a lot of guys who can rebound the basketball and they can get second chance points and they can hold opponents to just one shot. They they dominated Phoenix on the glass, uh, 57 to 33. I mean, that just let that sink, 57 to 30, you're plus 24 on the boards and it wasn't just the rebounding; it was the overall defense. I mean, yes, Phoenix is a garbage team. Do not, let, let's not question that. They are arguably maybe the worst team in the league right now. They're looking like the worst team in the league. I don't think anyone will argue that. However, they have a lot of fucking offensive weapons if they do get hot. So for Portland to be as active as they were, I mean, I really look at Mo Harkless was swarming Josh Jackson. Damian Lillard, it looked like he's he's starting to become crafty on defense. And I mean that he's never going to be a Gary Payton on the perimeter. But he's starting to get a little Chris Paul Allen Iverson where he's playing passing lanes. Yeah, he, he's putting,
1: they were, mm-hmm.
0: He's putting his hands up, and really the whole team started to do that. So I was loving the defense, and we really saw that continue over in, in the Pacers game as well when they had—I mean, Indiana only ended up with 96 points. Granted, Miles Turner did not play, but it was still a road game. So I think for two out of the three games, you're looking at really solid defense, and it, really Portland's won 11 of the 12 quarters so far and was one questionable call away from being 3-0— and so I think you're really happy at two and one stage. Absolutely, and it, and it really started um, opening
1: night. And I mean, they're all home. They're all away games. Going on the road, sixty six percent on the road is pretty damn commendable. Even if it's one and a half trash teams that we played, it still wins in the in the win column. And I mean, you got to take advantage of these whack ass teams because there's exactly. not that many whack ass teams. It's a lot of teams that have skill. And, you know, we handle business against, you know, the trash, yes, and a questionable team.
0: The formula to 50 wins is you handle your business at home, you at least win 30 there, and you go 500 on the road. Mm-hmm. So Portland is clearly on that path. I mean, yes, we're three games in, but can you imagine the sentiment around Rip City had we be lost to Phoenix or the Pacers without Miles Turner? So. Be upset that we didn't you know, come, come, come back with the sweep, but 2-1, will get the job done, and now you're looking at 10 of the next 11 at home where you really have to take advantage of that. But before we kind of jump into the next set of games, um, a couple of more shout-outs in the Phoenix game. Uh, first of all, Evan Turner, a mm-hmm. plus 43 for all the shit that guy got for being always on one of the worst plus-minuses in, in the NBA Uh, was fantastic these first two games, really. And really the first two and a half games. Um, He had 12 points, 50% shooting, did it all, really. A steal, a block, four boards, three assists, and came in and was that third guard, was really that that backup point guard, and he was running the offense. And he had, I don't know if it was the Phoenix game or the Indiana game, I want to say... It was the Indiana game where he had seventeen points. Yeah,
1: he had like eight, and he had like the last eight points on that a blazer run.
0: That second quarter where he put those dudes in the spin cycle—I mean,
1: this it is was the Victor event- Oladipo too. It wasn't some yeah. bum. Victor is like the fifth-rated defensive shooting guard in all, uh, like defensive matrix. He. This is not a bum. No, so make at all. Victor look foolish. Usually that's CJ McCollum's job, but Evan Turner did his thing.
0: He just continued to bat. I mean, he's a thick dude. Like he was using his his backside and, and going to work. And this was really, this is the signing I think Olshay envisioned. And it's a little odd. It took a whole season for them to realize that that Turner needs the ball in his hands. You can't play him, play him off the ball. But if, if he's able to have this type of production off the bench, not only are you looking at a potential six-man-of-the-year candidate, but you give so much of – a you lessen the burden of Lillard, McCollum, and even Nurkic to an extent to know that, okay, we can pencil this guy into 12 to 15 points every night.
1: Speaking of Nurkic, I thought he was dominating Sabas in the post. And then I turn around and look at his stats and it was just like, no, he just had dominant position and then some unfortunate dribbles happened. Did you think he was wrecking shop in Indiana or was that just me and like looking at the game, not looking at like the production of it, just looking at how he got inside position so easily?
0: So that game started at four Pacific time and I was literally just walking home from work at four. So I missed the first half of the first quarter, but I was getting your text and I was hearing that. And as soon as I came home, you know, I was watching him, and he was getting super frustrated. I mean, he ended the game with six turnovers, uh, only two rebounds, which is just terrible. Didn't, now, four,
1: four I thought 13 AFA from the did board. work in the rebounding department. Yeah, he
0: had 16, but still, your seven-foot big needs to, needs to get more than two boards, especially with Miles Turner out of the game. And, you know, Al Jefferson's really never been known for his rebounding prowess. But... And he finally started to come around in that second half in Milwaukee. But really through the first 10 quarters of the season, whether it's been his mask or just getting accustomed to playing with a lighter weight, he's been really pressing. He's not taking his time. And he's missing so many easy shots around the rim, which is extremely frustrating. Uh, My one concern with Nurkic is... He plays with emotion, but lets it get to the be- but lets it get the best of him. And what I mean by that is, he'll go down, get in post position, either get whistled for an offensive foul, create a turnover, or miss a bunny. If he gets the ball again, he's going. He's he has a tunnel vision. He's trying to score like he's he's trying to make up for the last three mistakes all in once. And you know we really can't have that. We need him to just play even keel. Like what Damon CJ do, and I know he's never going to be at that level, but he's unplayable when he gets in those moods where he's trying to put the game on his shoulders. When he needs to realize it's you've got four other dudes on, on the team, and I'm not saying he's selfish. I mean he's trying to do it for for the betterment of the team, but at the same time he needs to take a step back and realize there are four other guys that are, are going to be out there. They have his back. They they're there to help him, especially if you're having. You know, a really rough night, but I think for Portland, and again, this is why you're also happy with two and one. You, you're really your your marquee free agent acquisition, a healthy use of Nurkic, has played subpar. Oh, he, he's
1: played playing garbage, but getting the wind doesn't uh, like getting the win's way more important than his stat line. But I mean, if you look at his Denver stats. He was a turnover and foul monster. I mean, he didn't do it in the 30 games in Portland, but he he's bit he like that was what he was. That was the thing that I was scared of when he came was he's gonna throw some bad turnovers and get into foul trouble.
0: And with Nurk, it's still a work in progress. What he's what, twenty two, twenty three years old? really getting his first extended action as a starter since the 20 game stretch Mm -hmm. last year, playing at a different weight. He does have the dental surgery. You know, there's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of hype. This is a contract year for him. What I want to see Terry Stotts do is get him in settings that are going to help him make quick decisions. And that means pick and pops. You shoot the jumper. You've got the range. That means more pick and rolls where Dame is either taking it to the cup or giving it to him on a quick dive, and he's just got to make one move and finish. Where he really needs to put in the work is when we dump it into him down low, and he, he's taking a little bit too much time down there, dribbling too much. He needs to have a couple of go-to moves that he can really rely on and trust, especially down the stretch, because a lot of times he's just trying to bully people, and he can't do that anymore at his weight. He's still extremely strong, but... He's got to add a little more finesse to go with that lighter frame.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I keep I kept seeing him get that inside position and then a double dribble, a travel. It was it was it was it I, it was frustrating for me to watch. So I know that he was he was feeling it because on paper that is a matchup that he should dominate every time. Like without Miles Turner, those bigs on Indiana are pretty trash. Shout out to T.J. Leaf. His his movement was so much better than I expected it would be. Like he looked good for the stretches of time he played,
0: and he owned up to getting crossed by
1: C.J. Oh, too. Oh, absolutely. Hey, he did. But
0: no, T.J. Leaf was a prospect I really liked in the draft. He he's pretty bouncy. He's like I said. He's light on his feet. He has a nice touch he reminds me of a more athletic Nick Collison when Collison came out of Kansas. And Collison's been in the league for, what, 14 years? So that's not a bad, you know, player comp to have uh, with you as you start your career. But no, he looked really strong. Like, we're going to look at every rookie, really, and be like, they are really fucking good because that's how amazing this class was. That's why we were so upset we didn't add a third rookie um, to the team. But before we move on from, from Indiana... Obviously, it was C.J. McCollum's season debut and looked like he did not miss a beat from the postseason. 28 points, 3 of 4 from downtown, 12 of 18 overall from the field. An impressive seven boards uh, to go along with the steal and the block. Uh, welcome back, C.J. I was pretty pissed off that the NBA suspended him for that opener for taking a few steps on the court. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, Portland's never going to get the benefit of the league. And uh, it was good to see him back. But last but not least, one of the biggest roller coaster players on the team, and uh, Tara uh, TCB Biggs, one of our favorite guests, one of her favorite players, Alf Aminu, had an outstanding game. I didn't realize he had 16 boards, 16. Um, 16- 16 points. Yeah. I mean, 7 of 13 from the floor, 2 of 4 from downtown. If he could shoot 2 of 4 from downtown every night, you you take that and run.
1: That's how much Allen shot for us.
0: Exactly. But, you know, with the menu, he gives a little and he taketh a little uh he was non-existent in that Oh, excuse me. He was non-existent in that Milwaukee game, uh, one of seven from the field, one of three from the three-point line, uh, 5.6 boards, and just – I think it's the the essence of Aminu. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just, it's just – he is what he is. You're going to get a great game one night, and you're going to get a head scratch at the next. I don't think he is good enough to be a starter on a top-four team out in the Western Conference – um, I don't know if he continues to start after uh, Noah Von Lee get gets healthy or whatever they f- think they have. And Swanigan, if they think he's ready for the limelight or Zach Collins to that respect as well. But Aminu, what are, what are your thoughts on him? Because I, I actually had a dream last night that we traded Aminu to the Raptors for, for OG and a first-round pick.
1: <laughs> That's cute that you thought that would be a realistic thing. I mean – he is what he is. He is what he is for the last few years, Ben. Sometimes he shoots 36% from threes, the other time it's 29%. It's just like a game of inches for him. Either it goes right in, or it's a little left or a little right.
0: Wait, a, a little left or a little right? He has, be- the, he has the highest variance of any player I think Maybe in Blazer history, when it comes to shooting the <laughs> basketball, I literally have no fucking clue when he shoots if it's going in or not, and it doesn't matter if he's guarded or not. Like every time he shoots the ball, it's a surprise. So in, in, in a way, he keeps me on the on the tip of my toes.
1: Absolutely, but it, it, I mean, you know, he, he he is what he is. He is what he's always been, and that's a good rebounder, defender, and he might shoot thirty six percent for a year. Or it might be twenty five, just like in New Orleans. It's it, it he is he's always is what he is. First, but you off. can count on him for the hustle and the rebounding and the defense. It's just the sh- the the offense is really the sugar on top of the of the pound cake or whatever basic dessert you can think of. he, he is what he is. <laughs>
0: First off, the Raptors are in win now mode in my in my in current in real life, so don't crap dream. on my <laughs> so don't crap on my dream trade. Um, second, what what do you do with with Emune long term? He he's got one year on his contract after this season. He's still relatively young and is able to play the the three and the four. Does does he have a a, a future here in Portland? Is he a guy that Portland has to package with? You know another contract to kind of consolidate the roster a
1: bit i mean i his contract doesn't offend me his play doesn't offend me i wouldn't mind keeping him i know he is tradable but if he stays a blazer at least we know that we're having a dominant uh rebounding three four swing so i'd be fine keeping him
0: yeah, I, I only ask because you've got Pat Connaughton. If he continues to play well, he's going to take some time at the two. Shabazz Napier has shown he plays well when he gets minutes. So those those four guard spots could be pretty eaten up. You know, Damon CJ, they're going to play the lion's share of the minutes there. Evan Turner, if he continues his production, is the two, three. Um, I think you have to continue with Mo Harkless at the three. And then we know the logjam at the, at the four and the five. And you just drafted two bigs. Like Ed Davis, I just don't know where the minutes are going to come from for Aminu once, once Von Lee returns. And if you've got Pat playing well and Shabazz playing well, and I know this is a great problem to have, but yes, winning cures everything, but these guys want to play basketball. And Ed is, Ed has proven that his value is there. I think Ed's probably been maybe one of the most impressive Blazers for the first, for through the first three games of the season. Um, Nothing to really worry about right now if you're a Blazer fan, but longer term looking down the road, Aminu's a, a player who I don't know where he
1: fits. Yeah, I mean, I, I could totally see him getting traded at the deadline to a competing team that needs a wing, or I could see him on the Blazers for the next few years. <coughs> it's just all depending on what he's willing to accept as a role in monetary Like, what's he willing to accept? Because $8 million for Alfred Rukminu, or whatever it is now, is a bargain for what we get defensively in rebounding. I'll take someone with flaws that I know for a fact is getting me seven boards and good defense.
0: It's a very valid point. Uh, Unfortunately, Portland was not able to come back home for the home opener 3-0 they dropped a heartbreaker in Milwaukee, 113 to 110. It was really the the second quarter that, that did the Blazers in. They got outscored 36 to 29. Uh, that was the one quarter they've lost all season. Unfortunately, it was the one that was just too much of an uphill battle to climb. They looked like they were in control, really, for the entire first 18 minutes of that game. They built mm-hmm. a nine-point lead. And then all of a sudden... Giannis happened. You know, Chris Middleton kept them in the game early on. Um, the bucks got fantastic role player production from Tony Snell, who went seven of eight, included three or four from downtown. Uh, Teletovic shot three or four from downtown, all contested looks, you know, John Henson shot three of five. They got outstanding role player production mm. and they are going to be tough to beat when Giannis gets 44, eight and four, two seals in the block. On seventeen of twenty-three shooting, which is just—I don't. There are no words to put how incredible that that is. Yeah. <clears throat> so you factor in Giannis's career night, the amazing role production from the Bucks playing on the road, playing on the second night of a back-to-back. I thought Portland really played their C-plus game, mm. and I, I know you were—I uh,
1: was too busy having... winning in a tournament. I watched the first quarter tonight but we had to record so you know this is more important than watching a game that it happened in the past so i don't really know what happened except by like the play-by-play thing on your phone when you're when you you just see the stuff but what like what actually happened in the fourth quarter
0: it was really one of those games where you never thought portland was going to get over the hump we got it i mean i think it was like either a it was between like a three and a seven point game, the entire fourth quarter. And then Milwaukee made a run that got it up to seven. There was like four minutes left. And I was texting my mom. I was talking Olga. And I was like, uh, probably doesn't feel like this one's going to go our way tonight. All of a sudden Portland got a couple of turnovers, especially by playing with, with their hands and getting uh, loose balls and knocking them out. And it was really the, the times Giannis didn't shoot the ball. Um, Dame, Dame took over. He had 16 of his 26 points in that fourth quarter and we were up one and Giannis I would say we were up one we had the ball Dame drove towards the the left side of the hoop kind of got caught they stole the basketball Nurk fouled Giannis before the break started fortunately Giannis missed both free throws Dame felt like he came out of nowhere to secure that board so we got the ball back again under a minute to go, about 30 seconds. This time we go CJ, and CJ gets, in my opinion, without the glasses on, he was fouled. I mean, Giannis has a long arms, but he had his left arm wrapped around McCollum before he poked him in. It should have been whistle a foul. It wasn't. It led to a out. Um, it led to a breakaway slam. Milwaukee's up one. We get the ball back. Great pick and roll. Nurk gets the ball, and he goes automatically right up to the basket, gets blocked by Giannis. Nurk could have gathered himself, pump faked, and would have at least went to the foul line, or would have had an easy and one. But And that's why I was tweeting out, like, Nurk really needs to, like, pump fake, let the game come to him, just calm down a little bit, but it was just wide open. People online... We're also talking about the game because I read the game threads afterwards. When CJ got the ball stripped from him, apparently Dame was wide open just to his left from three. That could have been the dagger. Um, so it was poor as Portland played defensively. Um, and they went stretches offensively where the Bucks' length really did give them problems. They had a chance to win that game. They really should have won that game had that call been made. And another reason Portland was able to get back into it is they 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 went to Nurk and they should have did it a long time ago. He ended up with 17 and 11 and three blocks. But um, there was a, a stretch in that second quarter and that third quarter when we just we just went away from him. We became a little bit too perimeter oriented, um, especially against the Bucks. I know they have a lot of length, but they don't have a lot of beef. And so you can pound them inside, and I just don't think we we did that quite enough. All right. Hmm. Are you going to go back and watch that?
1: Yeah, 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 I will. But it was just like... I was doing shit, and then I didn't think we'd be recording tonight, and then we ended up recording tonight. So I'll, I'll end up watching it, but... It's the past yeah. now. We got we got four games to look forward to in the future, right?
0: Yeah, it was really though a little disheartening because Terry Stotts got out coached by Jason Kidd and it was another thing that we've kind of harped on as you know, this is episode 89. I think we've touched on this throughout the course of our, you know, recording history. Terry Stotts does not make in-game adjustments, Mm. especially on the defensive end of the floor. We talked about this on last week's episode when Milwaukee really had their way with us. They posted up Middleton. They posted up Giannis. Let them go to work. Isolation at the top of the key. And we did nothing to stop it. Um, I know Tony Snell, Teltovich, were having strong nights shooting the basketball. And there's also Middleton out on the wing. But when you have a guy who is... I don't know if there's more of a freak of nature than LeBron James, but this guy is it
1: mm-hmm. giving
0: his, given his length. There is no fucking way. I'm letting him continue to beat me and get a career night, make somebody else make a fucking shot, especially with pressure on the line. You know, it's one thing for Tony Snell to hit jumpers in the second quarter, but when you're trying to give your team the go ahead three late in the game, that's a, that's a different type of pressure. And, it happened with the Kings last year when we let Cousins get a career high, 50-plus 50, 50 points. Stotts needs to swallow some of his pride and say, screw it. We're going to send a double. And it just feels like we don't even practice the double team in practice because what would we do if we did double team? Like are you going weak side? Are you going strong side? Which Whose man is double teaming? But you need to try to force some turnovers and you have to make somebody else beat you because Giannis – taking three seconds, backing in, shooting a fall-away, what, eight-foot shot with his length. He shot it 17 of 23. It's going to go in 17 of 23 times, if not more. So I was like, goddamn, Terry.
1: Who was he, who was uh, guarding Giannis straight up? What be doing, so, in Harkless?
0: So Harkless actually did a decent job with him in the first half, but for whatever reason, Harkless didn't get um, the time down the stretch. Uh, Evan Turner and, and Aminu were trying to do their best, and – it was a weird game because we didn't see Caleb Swanigan or Zach Collins play. And as green as Zach Collins is, I would have tried him out. I think he's got the length that, that Mm -hmm. can bother Giannis as much as Giannis can be bothered. And we were literally giving Giannis two or three steps to praying he would shoot jump shots. He hit one three, but he wasn't really accurate from, from the, the perimeter. He did most of his damage just, going to the basket, and it just would have been nice if we would have tried to play some denial defense or tried to trap um, double. It just it was vintage Terry Stotts in the worst way possible, and one of the few reasons that I'm not certain he is a championship-caliber coach, before we get into too much Stotts can't do this, Stotts can't do that, (laughs) it's only game three. I'm going to give him time to see what he can do. Um, because he is a great offensive coach, and the, the yeah, guys but really, really do love him. But
1: this is something it, I've hyped on from, from day one. He's yeah. not good at defensive adjustments. Get Rod Adams in this bitch. Get someone who knows how to run a defense successfully. Have multiple options.
0: But and you know whatever. we we have been playing better defense so far this season. But there's going to come a time when you play LeBron, when you play Durant, when you play Giannis and Kawhi. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have career nights. What are you gonna do? You have to you have to make adjustments. Even mm-hmm. if it's not option A, you have to start going into the wheelhouse and go into your rolodex of defensive strategies and you have to see what sticks. Mm-hmm. And if you do that and it doesn't work, then you say, Fine, we just got beat by a better player, a better team that night. But I, I think it's it's stubbornness and it's a little bit lazy to just trot your same defense out there and, and think it's it's just gonna work.
1: Well, I mean in the two games that I've watched we've done good things defensively. But in pressure situations you revert to what got you there. Maybe that was Terry reverting back to the stubbornness that got him a, you know, a coaching job.
0: You I mean, know, you're 100% right. Coaches like players are Creatures of habits, and that's what that's his habit. Mm -hmm. And and hopefully, he goes out of his comfort zone during the rest of the season because we're going to need it if we're going to be a contender out west. And my god, the west already looks like a bloodbath. But before we go into the next four games of the week, all right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here about to talk about the home opener it's about to go downstage tuesday night mom's gonna be there dad's gonna be there olga matt myself and of course
1: the star of the show me (laughs) (laughs) you are
0: gonna fly up to portland for portland's 17th consecutive home opening victory I i can't wait
1: yeah man uh yeah it happens to be against the team that i also love um Man, let's get into this team. Let's get into this cursed-ass team. They one and two. F- one and two. They almost blew the game against L.A. tonight, but thank God they didn't. Um, the Pelicans have five injured players right now. Solomon Hill, Rondo, Alexis Agensa, Frank Jackson, and o- the ghost of Omer Ajik. Th- so, two starters. One and a half good players. Um... What they did in the offseason, the big thing was they stole the Denver Nuggets offensive coordinator Chris Finch who has installed a bunch of uh, point boogie type of plays where boogie's handling at the top of the key and in certain situations he looks really good handling the ball, making crisp passes. Sometimes he gets lazy though. Um, they are Guards are finally looking good. I mean, the corpse of Jameer Nelson won us that game. There's no way, uh, no other way to describe what happened. Drew Holiday is not a point guard. Has never been a point guard. It was foolish for every high school, college, and NBA coach that had Drew Holiday to assume that he was a point guard, because his handle is so weak that random bad defenders steal the ball from him, like Joe Ingles. Jordan Clarkson, his handle's weak. What he's best at is being a shooting guard that attacks, and with Jameer Nelson, in theory, they can do that Tuesday. Um, so
0: what's it? So from what I'm hearing and from what I've seen of the Pelicans, it's going to come down to your front court versus our back court. Yeah.
1: If you if you tell me how many minutes Nurk plays. I'll tell you who wins.
0: 30 minutes of nurk.
1: I think the Blazers win because they're not getting the bigs in foul trouble. Because AD and Boogie will probably, on average, get 17 free throws a game. That's a lot of fouls being drawn on opposing teams' bigs. And seeing that Noah Vonley, one of the best defenders on Anthony Davis, is out, I have no idea who's defending Anthony Davis this game.
0: Yeah, who starts for Portland? I don't think you can. Can you put Amino in there? I, I don't think so. I
1: don't think so. But is it Zach Collins first start? Because Caleb's gonna get ate up. Ed Davis is gonna get ate up.
0: No, you definitely can't put Caleb Swanigan. We we've seen his defensive woes, especially guarding um, on the perimeter. I
1: don't think Ed Ed Davis will get ate up, man. I love Ed Davis. Anthony Davis course, is way and, and, way of more course. talented.
0: We're not talking about talent. We're talking about who's the best defensive option. Um, see, this is why this game scares me. I know a lot of fans are going to automatically assume this is a guaranteed win. Uh, Portland's going to steamroll the the, the Pelicans. I- I'm not super worried about Cousins. I know he's had his way with us in the past, but Nurk should be able to place some defense. passable, passable yeah. defense yeah. against Cousins. And... But Davis, like you said, if we had Von Lee, I'd feel a lot more confident Mm -hmm. about this game. But I don't know what we do. If Terry Stotts was smart, and we say this every time we play Davis or Cousins, and now they're on the same team, you send the fucking double team. Sage, who on your team is going to beat beat us from the perimeter?
1: Ian Clark and each one more.
0: Exactly. I'll (laughs) take my chances.
1: Yeah. I mean – If it was me coaching the Blazers, I would send that double as soon as one of them touches the ball. If they're in the post, we're sending the double, because I don't want whoever the fuck the power forward is to get into foul trouble, so it's a lesser option defending Anthony Davis. I think the game is really going to depend on how many fouls New Orleans draws. I know... Dame can get his, CJ can get his, but if the clock stopped and Anthony Davis is at the line fouling out Bigs, I don't know how we stop him.
0: I was gonna say something and I completely forgot. Hey
1: man, I mean, I I, th- I think the way the Blazers will attack is whoever Jameer Nelson is guarding has to go pretty nuclear. <clears throat> I think Which Drew Holiday is a very good defender. I think Moore is a very good defender, like straight man-to-man defense. They're both very good, but Jameer Nelson's out of shape and pretty fat right now. If CJ McCollum can get busy against him, it's gonna be a big night for CJ because I, I I imagine Dame will be on or C, uh, Drew Holiday will be on Dame.
0: What are the Pelicans gonna do on offense? That that was what I was gonna say. How do you envision them attacking this Blazer defense?
1: I think it's going to be a lot of post-entry passes to one of those bigs, have them go to work. I mean, dribble penetration, kicking it out to the bigs. I mean, the bigs, are going; their usage rates are out of this world. I mean, they're scoring 30 points a game, getting 30 rebounds as a duo. So I think it's got to be a lot of big-to-big passes and one of them going into work. So
0: for New Orleans to win, they have to
1: what? Get, them, get the bigs in foul trouble, slow the game down, get into, get on the foul line, and probably hit some threes, because in theory, Blazers could shrink the pain in, but the Pelicans don't have great shooters, but they have respectable NBA shooters.
0: For Portland to win, they have to...
1: Dominate Jameer Nelson, confuse the New Orleans defense... New Orleans last year was the seventh ranked defense. I'm expecting them to be a top five defense, but because of all the new acquisitions and the injuries, they don't communicate well right now, so take advantage of the fact that those wings haven't really played together a lot.
0: Who is your X factor for New Orleans, and who is your X factor for Portland?
1: <sighs> Portland? I'm going Mo Harkless. i I. The the two star guards have to go bi- get busy. They have to dominate, but for them to win, Mohawk has to dominate a smaller wing player because they don't really have a small forward. They have Dante Cunningham, who you know is a power forward. They have Tony Allen, who's a shooting guard. They have Etwan Moore, who's the starting small forward. He's six four, so it's taking advantage of the small wings with the very big and, and trying to avoid those big centers in the middle. But Mo Harkless and I think Anthony Davis at the line is the X factor for for New Orleans. Who I mean, I don't for New Orleans. Anthony Davis is the X factor. I know it's, but like he's that good. We have to find a way to stop him. Maybe maybe it's Stott's willingness to break from what he's used to. Also for Portland.
0: For me, it's Evan Turner. You, you just said it yourself. Etuan Morris, 6'4". Drew Holiday can't guard him. Jameer Nelson can't guard him. If he can do what he did against the Pacers mm-hmm. and provide that bench scoring, Portland's going to win this game. Mm-hmm. That's where Portland has the advantage. They they are, they are the better team 1, to, 1 through 12. They have more depth. They're playing at home.
1: Home opener, they, too
0: home opener. Portland has the backcourt advantage. New Orleans has the, the frontcourt advantage. I don't think anybody's going to disagree there. But if Portland can have a, a plus, plus 15, plus 20 bench points, they're they're going to win the game because there's only so much that AD and Boogie can do over the course of 48 minutes. And if Portland gets a balanced team effort, I, I just think that they're going to come away with, with the victory. Um, how do you see this this game playing out?
1: Oh Man, I think the Blazers will win. I really do. Winning on a home opener... It's pretty imperative that the home team wins their home opener. Unless you're the Suns who fired their coach (laughs) and their star point guard wants to fucking bounce. They're gonna win, but I think it's gonna be a very grinded out type of victory where uh, Portland's ability to have CJ and Dame... On the court at the same time, confusing the defense is going to be the thing. It's going to be a grinded out tough game, but I think Portland escapes with a W maybe on a last possession bucket.
0: Well, it would be fitting to <sighs> win in the last. Fuck,
1: man. Yeah.
0: Last possession bucket when, when you're in the building. I agree <laughs> with you. Um, uh, of these four games, this game scares me the most, hands down. Um, I think Portland wins. One, they've won 16 straight at home. I think it's going to get to 17. The guys know about the streak. The fans know about it. I mean, the, it's going to be so live in the arena uh, on Tuesday night. And as good as AD and Boogie are, I just think that team needs a lot of help. Um, Drew Holiday
1: is not providing it.
0: Exactly. Now, if, if they get production like the Bucks got out of Teletovic and uh, Tony Snell... Mm-hmm. then it's a different story however i think i think role players tend to play better at home
1: mm-hmm.
0: i really like evan turner as as i mentioned and damon cj i mean cj put up 36 against these guys two years ago on opening night that could be going through his mind um i think portland squeaks that i think it's going to be a tight game i think they probably win by maybe five or six points mm-hmm. but it c- it could go i wouldn't be surprised to see it going down to the wire
1: mm-hmm.
0: up next
1: uh well, oh the, question how many people do you think are going to be pissed off at me by the end of the day?
0: When I go to games with you, nobody's pissed off. It's only when you go by yourself.
1: <laughs> I'm an asshole. I totally will admit that. I'm an asshole. You know? I'm normally chill. I'm normally a very chill person. But when the the the, the competitive juices are flowing, I kind of turn into an asshole that talks a bunch of shit sometimes. Actually, for... There have been some assholes that have said some shit when you were with me. You just didn't hear it. But I'm gonna try and be cool because I like both teams immensely. I, I, dude, I'm excited. I, you know, I don't get to go to Portland off that often. It's pretty expensive for me, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I got, I got some spending money from beating some noobs at 2K. Um, I'm excited for this day.
0: And when I went to Nike on Friday, what did I? Ha- what did you have me pick up for you?
1: A Dame jersey, some oversized sneakers, and a, a Blazers beanie.
0: Yeah, so two of the three things that Nike Blazer related. Just, just wanted the, our well, audience. I, to, I, I, to I hear feel that. like
1: you wouldn't give me a Pelicans anything. I would. I, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs>
0: I have bought you Pelicans gear before.
1: You have actually? I, I'm sorry I accused you of not buying me a Pelican stuff.
0: I'm just saying, your, your love for the Blazers is growing by the day.
1: Oh, I, I can totally and completely admit that I love the Blazers more than the New Orleans Saints. And three or four years ago, I didn't think I could love anything more than the <laughs> New Orleans Saints. It was like my mom, New Orleans Saints, <laughs> and everything below that. And I can honestly say without a shadow of a doubt, I could give a fuck if the Saints win a game. <laughs> I'd rather the Blazers win a championship than the Saints. I mean, as long as 2009 still exists in my heart...
0: 2009 it, still exists.
1: Then everything else doesn't matter with that team. I don't give a fuck about it.
0: We, we've done it. We're, we're so close, Rip City. <laughs>
1: Kudos. I, I mean, yeah, I mean... Don't ask me on a recorded device who I'd love more between the Pelicans and the Blazers. But I can say without a shadow of a doubt. Thank you, New Orleans, for the years of... New Orleans Saints for the years of being obsessed about you. I might have moved on. I think football's a little too rough for me to totally enjoy. Yeah. Hoops is a beautiful game, though. Yeah, I mean, hey... 2009 saints was a beautiful thing for me to enjoy, but that time in saints history is long gone. And I don't know if I like what our GM is doing. So enough saints talk <laughs> right now, I guess.
0: As we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, the new Orleans seat home opener starts 10 of 11 at home in rip city for the trailblazers. And Sage, really, I was looking through the month of November. It is a very favorable schedule for Rip City. And we know the West is going to be a bloodbath. It's the most competitive Western Conference I've seen in my lifetime, the most stacked talent-wise. If Portland is to get that that top-four seed, get home court advantage, they really need to own home court. And I know we said the formula to 50 wins is 30 at home, 20 on the road – but when you play in front of such a great fan base, a knowledgeable fan base, a rabid fan base, I think you got to be a little bit better than 30 and 11 at home. And mm. they could really set the tone for a great home record early on in the season. And that's important that a team like Portland got home games early because they made no moves in the offseason. So it's really the same nucleus. Mm. They're not breaking in new players. So, I mean I watched uh, Oklahoma City lose on a last second shot to Minnesota today. They lost a home game to a division rival. That is going to count in April when they look back at the standings mm-hmm. and it's because they're working in new guys. Portland has the luxury to not do that. And it's it starts with New Orleans, but the Clipper game on the 26th is equally important because on paper, Portland is the uh, the much better team, especially now that um. – what is their point guard's name?
1: I was hoping you could pronounce his name correctly.
0: I didn't want to go out on that limb. I've. I, I,
1: is his name Milos? Uh, his name is Milos to – it starts with a T. Oh, to There you go.
0: So he is out indefinitely with a foot injury. He is he's a good. wizard with the basketball. Yeah, he's good. He can't shoot for shit. But he'll make a highlight reel uh dropping dimes. Pretty much think better Sergio Rodriguez, uh Ricky Rubio type player. This is what he was. He's out, and that hurts because the Clippers' weakness is their backcourt. Um they have Pat Beverly, they have Lou Williams, they have a player whose name is Austin Rivers, who I don't really think is an NBA player, but guess
1: how, what his rating is in 2K? Guess. 77. No
0: seventy
1: nine.
0: Man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. If nothing was more real, he would have said, fuck out here with that shit. Oh, man.
0: I think I dropped a lot of uh, F-bombs this show, so I gotta...
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're gonna piss off some sponsors. Yeah, you d- you know it's, a l- it's late when I'm starting to be problematic. All right.
0: <laughs> but this is the exact same game as the Pelicans. You've got Portland, who is has much more depth. They have their at home. They lose the the front court advantage to, to Blake and DeAndre, but they can absolutely uh, demolish this team uh, mm. on the, on the back court. And if we if we're talking about X factors, tell me Evan Turner doesn't get busy again.
1: Who the fuck are their wings besides Gallinari?
0: I mean, Wesley Johnson,
1: is he still on that
0: team? He's still on the team.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think what? This is the recipe for Evan Turner to get more busy. I think that New Orleans will handle him better than, uh, fuck, the Clippers will. So, yeah, I could definitely see one of our wings, uh, Mo Harkless or Evan Turner, being the reason we win this game.
0: Charles Barkley said on Inside the NBA, um, I think it was after the, the the NBA opener on last Tuesday that he has the Clippers going to the Western Conference Finals. I don't even have them making they, the playoffs. The fucking
1: playoffs, yeah, that's fucking ridiculous. Dang. He, he I, was he was my favorite basketball player. He is my favorite basketball player ever. I I hate him as a broadcaster. I hate him. I don't listen to him at all. I used I have a Charles Bo- Barkley por- poster on my wall right of like when I wake up I see the like the a Charles Barkley poster when I was at, at my mom's. I love the his game but I he's such a fucking dummy.
0: How does Portland though handle Blake Griffin who if he stays healthy and the Clippers are in the playoff chase, he's going to be in the MVP conversation, and rightfully so. I'm not super worried about DeAndre because Nurk's a big body.
1: Yeah, Nurk can handle him.
0: So I think as long as we limit DeAndre, DeAndre's going to get defensive boards. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But I think Portland wins this game a couple of ways. They have to limit Blake Griffin's playmaking playmaking mm. ability, and what I mean by that is you can't let him start dishing out assists and getting his role players involved. You have to limit the Clippers to one possession on offense. That means keeping Blake and DeAndre off the glass. And third, I, I think you need this is when your stars shine, mm. and Damon C.J. as they should against New Orleans. We need them to be selfish. Um, I don't think they were selfish enough against Milwaukee and it kind of cost us because that's when our role players didn't necessarily show up and Nurk got busy a little bit, uh, too little too late. They need to set the tone against New Orleans and they need to set it against the Clippers because they are our bread and butter. I mean, they are our two best players. We ride or die with those, with those guys. And I think for us to win both games, I want to get them a lot of shots because mm. I, I don't see a lot of defenders on either team Really giving them much of a of a hassle,
1: yeah, I, I don't think we're gonna stop Blake from playmaking. He is probably their best playmaker now that to milos Milos is hurt. um, so I mean, Pat Beverly's not really the guy I want running my offense. So I imagine Blake Griffin's gonna have to have the ball in his hands.
0: I think Dame might get forty. He loves playing Pat Bev, loves it. Ever since that playoff series in 2014, when when Beverly was talking a lot of shit, saying you know he's you know best defender, you know can guard anybody, and that's all the narrative was coming into that series. And Dame pretty much torched him. I think Dame's going to go for 40 against the Clippers. I got Portland winning by I think I think they get it done by eight.
1: So New Orleans is going to be a much closer game than the Clippers. Yeah, I told you,
0: I'm uh, most worried about the. All
1: right, I I think it's going to be a close game, but I I definitely see us pulling away in the last three minutes. Like, maybe Dame hits two threes or something. I'm not nearly as worried about this game. But our guys need to produce. Um, We need to take advantage of the injuries that have happened. And gang rebound. I think what our bigs need to do this time is Robin Lopez box out and everybody crash the boards and get, those, get the rebounds because second chance and third chance opportunities are going to kill us in the first two games of this stretch.
0: Wait, who needs to box out?
1: Who did I say?
0: You said Rolo.
1: Well, Rolo style box out.
0: Okay, you you got to be more specific.
1: Yeah, well, remember... A few years ago when he would box out and the Wings would get him.
0: Oh, of course. LaMarcus had a career year just getting rebounds that fell right into his lap because Robin took out two dudes.
1: Yeah. Hey. It, it's, it's it's late, and I wasn't <laughs> expecting to do this. So, you know, the the problematic sage is out. I'm, I'm just trying not to say too much crazy shit.
0: Well, I don't think you're more problematic than Portland's next opponent. Saturday night, the Phoenix Suns come into the Rose Ooh. City fresh off of firing Earl Watson after three games and their best player, Eric Bledsoe tweeted out. I don't want to be here. And I'm looking this up as, as we record because I want to see if it is still live because a lot of athletes will tweet something and either delete it. Say they were hacked. Um, Yes, it's still up there. It Bledsoe for real, though. <laughs> it has 33,000 retweets and 62,000 likes. The impressions on that <laughs> bitch is through the roof. Everybody and their mom who's a basketball fan has seen that tweet. Um, He's going to be traded. There is no ifs, ands, or buts <coughs> about that. Thankfully, Portland is not playing the Phoenix Suns immediately after they fired Er Earl Watson because traditionally teams, no matter how bad they are, get fired up in that first game for Mm, a new coach, mm. which, funny enough, is Jay Triano, former Toronto Raptor head coach and former Portland Trailblazer assistant. Um, I'm really bummed that they let Earl Watson go. I know he didn't have a lot of fans within the Phoenix Suns fan base community, but you know. I was there. It was my last season when Earl was a trailblazer. His only season. His only, excuse me, season with the team, and he was always a you know a nice guy. I would always kind of talk to him about UCLA, how they were doing, um, and he, he he knew he wanted to be a coach. And maybe he got the job a little bit too soon, but I still think three games in, no matter the results, is way too soon to fire um, a player and. Phoenix is the equivalent of the Philadelphia 76ers a couple years ago. This team is a fucking dumpster fire.
1: Yeah, and the like. I I see people like Espo talk about the timeline, the timeline, the timeline. Aren't they guys supposed to lose games if you're talking about the timeline this fucking much?
0: I mean, yeah, I think it's a fine line because they set their self they set their fans up for that thought and. I think in the preseason or in the summer, you're like, yeah, you know, I really want to lose. I really want to lose. But when you lose, and yes, I know they lost a 40, by 42 to the Clippers and by 48 to the Trailblazers, that's going to happen. Now, at least give it a month. I mean, mm. give it more than three games is such a small sample size. And granted, we don't know what was going on behind closed doors. But, you know, maybe instead of blaming Earl Watson, blame your general manager who who really hasn't shown an ability to draft outside of lucking into Devin Booker.
1: Is this the same GM that traded for Brandon Knight when they yep. already had a point guard? They gave traded a for, for a Brandon first Knight. Side. Yeah, okay.
0: They gave up that Lakers pick they got in the Steve Nash trade, which the Lakers pick is now courtesy of Philadelphia, which is definitely going to be a high lottery pick. They gave away Isaiah Thomas for a first-round pick. Um, they traded Goran Dragic. They traded both Morris brothers. Couldn't keep either one of those guys happy. And I'm not saying that that's an easy task to do. That, those That's guys.
1: not a, that's, yeah. that's a difficult one.
0: Just saying they were a feel good story in 2014. They almost made the playoffs. Um, and they completely just, they should, match that know, shit away, man. I mean, they, I, there are a lot of things that, that went wrong. With the Phoenix Suns, but before we di- dissect the game, I mean, too much. I mean, I don't know if there's too much more to dissect. I think Portland copies the game plan for, from game one, and just, I mean, this is one of the games where if Portland shows up, they're going to win. I don't think there's an X factor. I just think they have to want to win this game. And frankly, that's going to show us a lot about this Trailblazer team. How committed are they to this season as a whole, as a marathon? Because if, if they think they're just going to you know show up and win the game, Phoenix has talent. Devin Booker scored 70 last year. They can beat us. I want to see if Portland takes them seriously. And I want to see them beat them by, by 20 points because that's what they should do.
1: Mm. I mean, one last thing about the Suns. It took us forever to incorporate Evan Turner. The Suns got a top three small forward. So they had to move around so many pieces. Like With the NBA season starting so much earlier, it's less time for people that are incorporating new players to actually incorporate them. So it was less time for Earl Watson to let Josh Jackson know, hey, this is what I want you to do. TJ Warren's going to be the four, and you two are going to just be athletic and score points. So I feel I definitely feel sorry for him. I hope that someone gives him a a chance at a assistant, a coach level.
0: I mean, I believe the next head coach will be the sixth since Mike D'Antoni left.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So definitely uh, a lot of issues with the Phoenix front office. If you were the that suns, culture
1: man is fucking bad.
0: If you were the suns or on the other side of the coin, if you were the rest of the teams in the NBA, what do you think, one, Eric Bledsoe's value is, and two, what are some teams that you see as, as a good fit? Do you think Portland would no. possibly be in the talks? No.
1: He's like a six one point guard. You know, Blazers have two amazing guards. They don't really need a third small guy. I think Denver would be a team that would be very interested in having him since Emmanuel Mudiay and Jamal Murray aren't really point guards or very good so far. I know that, like Larry Brown said, Emmanuel Mudiay was the most talented and intelligent guard he's ever seen. But he hasn't shown that shit in the NBA, really. So I think Denver might be a nice option for him. I know for a fact New Orleans was very gung-ho about trading for him. I know that they're dangling out first-round picks for him. I don't know if they do it now just because of how how they signed Rondo and now Jameer Nelson, but I know during this offseason that they're interested in him.
0: A team I saw mentioned online, and it makes a lot of sense. The Milwaukee Bucks.
1: Oh, definitely. And then you move Brockden to like the Super Six Man or something. Yeah, if, I mean if you
0: can they have a couple of young pieces. I mean, probably you're gonna give them a... Uh, a not a, lot, a lottery-protected first-round pick, but on a guy who only has a year on his deal left after the season for 14 mil, I mean, I really don't want to see him go to Denver. I, I want, if he gets, tra- just trade some fucking talent out east, for God's sake. Like, that needs to be a, prereqs, a prereq to any trade involving Western Conference talent. Like, get them the fuck out of here.
1: I mean, I just knew it wasn't going to work between Devin Booker and led so. It didn't work last year. It shouldn't have worked this year. And now, I mean, you gotta trade him. You have to trade him. You have to trade him and Tyson Chandler, preferably. Because, did you see the way he fucking played the preseason game against us, and the regular season game against us? He played harder in the preseason game. You gotta get them out and really grind this youth movement. You have too many vets that are expecting shit. If you're gonna tank... Actually, Tank, stop having these young or old vets take up time for Marquis, Chris, Dragon Bender, uh, Tyler Eulis. Just trade everybody.
0: Speaking of of Chris and Bender, do you, one, I think Bender is a massive bust. I know some Phoenix fans are probably still holding out hope. Uh, I haven't seen anything that shows me otherwise.
1: I think it'll be nice when he's off the team.
0: But Chris looked nice last year, and he, he kind he of looked, looked lazy. bad.
1: Yeah. He bad, dude. He looked undisciplined. I mean, he was playing some
0: lazy, undisciplined defense. Yeah, it was it, Maybe it's the culture, though.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. You know that shit's c- toxic. With all the coaches that are gone, the GM fucking up and fucking up and fucking up. I mean, that's probably as bad as Sacramento was last year, or the Knicks. So I don't blame the coaches. I blame what was established. I think the Suns really have to clear house if they want any chance at doing anything.
0: I've got Blazers by twenty. What do you got?
1: Uh, yeah, I just don't see any way they do anything positive. Really, I think it'll be a blowout. I think Dame will go absolutely crazy. Do you think Eric Bledsoe will play better to try and make sure GMs know he can still play, or do
0: oh, you think he's no. done so? He's checked out. He he was uh, there. Was rumors that. He tweeted that actually after he heard about Earl Watson being fired, even though the news filtered out after the tweet, so um, he knows what he can do. GMs know what he can do. I don't. I wouldn't judge him post Watson firing at all if I'm uh, a GM looking to to make a move for him. Last of the four games of the week, Portland welcomes in the visitors from the Great White North, the Toronto Raptors. This is actually the four uh, game four of five on a five-game Western Conference road trip for the Raptors. They have the Spurs on Monday, the Warriors on Wednesday, the Lakers on Friday, Portland on Monday, the 30th, and they finalize it. Oh, excuse me. Goddamn, they have six games, Denver on the first (laughs) and the Jazz on the third. That is almost a two-week road trip.
1: Bummer, to play six
0: dude. games? Yeah, I mean, man. I know we're trying to cut down on the back-to-backs, but like they said on the broadcast that Damian Lillard's like, I like the back-to-backs. I, let's just play the games. I don't want to spend an extra day on the road. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's cool. They're giving more teams like time, but that seems like a lot of extra time.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, like when I got back from Vietnam, I was sick for two fucking weeks. That travel really messes up people's immune system or at least mine. So I can't imagine how these players are feeling traveling from like Denver to Chicago, or Chicago to Texas. That's a lot of travel on these people's bodies.
0: And I think Portland, they kind of luck out here. They are the fourth game of a six-game trip.
1: Is this a schedule victory, you think?
0: I mean, Portland has all of the, the schedule advantages here if we're if we're mm-hmm. talking, you know, schedule there in the midst of a homestand. They have a day off in between games, like you said. Toronto will be, you know, seven eight days away from home. They're a veteran team, so so they've experienced it, and I don't think it's going to be that much of an advantage. But it, it certainly should be, especially if Portland is three and zero on on the homestand. You know, they want to close it out because they have the Jazz in Utah looming on Wednesday. I think this is a winnable game. I don't think these are the Raptors we're accustomed to seeing the last couple years that were really Eastern Conference threats. Mm. Um, I think Lowry's lost a step. Ibaka definitely has. DeRozan is really great on the mid-range.
1: Is but Jonas still injured? He got he hurt did. less. He
0: did get hurt. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um,
1: Guess who had him in fantasy? Your boy. Yeah, I did.
0: But... I mean, this game we're recording on Sunday, the twenty second is is eight games or is eight days away. So who knows if he comes back? But Toronto beat Portland last year twice. I mean, it's been a team Portland really hasn't been able to solve, and they did lose a lot of pieces though.
1: They lost Jeff uh, Corey, Corey Corey, Joseph, Corey Joseph, Namari Carroll, PJ Tucker, Patrick Patterson, Patrick Patterson. That's that's four rotation. Legitimate NBA players.
0: And so they're relying now on OG, the, the rookie from Indiana, uh, DeLon Wright, Durrell's, um younger brother as the, as the backup point guard. And I think the key to beating the Raptors is making them play defense mm-hmm. because they're a team that they think about one side of the floor. I mean, and they're really an, an ISO heavy team. I, I believe last year, it was either last year or the year before, they led the NBA in unassisted buckets. So they don't they don't share the ball as well as you as you would like. Um, they take a lot of contested shots. I mean, I think DeMar DeRozan is pretty much the king of the the contested mid range, maybe outside of Lamarcus Aldridge. But on defense, they're Ibaka's not what he once was. As big as Valanchunas is, you can score on him as well. They don't really have a defensive presence. Um, especially on the wing. I think this is a game if Portland just takes good shots, runs a solid offense, and gets production from I think this is a game we're gonna need production from guys like Harkless and Aminu. I, I don't think Damon CJ are gonna be able to win this game by themselves. This mm-hmm. is gonna have to be a team effort. Um as we mentioned, role players, they they just they play they're just so much more comfortable at home. Absolutely. You're sleeping you're sleeping in your own bed, you get to see your family. Um, your routine is intact. you just a lot more loose. I mean, you're in front of your home fans. You're in front of the, your gym that you shoot in, mm. you know, the majority of, of your of your career. So if guys like that are hitting, uh, I, I like I like Portland in this game. Um, I know it's tough to win four straight games regardless of whether they're home or on the road. But one area that concerns me is Valanchunas on offense. And this has been kind of
1: uh, – He's a, played more.
0: Yeah, a question of mine for Toronto. He's been so dominant that they just don't – he plays like half the game.
1: Yeah, it's like – it kind of reminds me of how Indiana played Rick Smith. Man, that is a throwback name. It's a TBT. But yeah, dude. But like, he doesn't play enough, and he's very good when he plays. I would love it if he actually – if I was a Raptors fan, if he actually played more. And he that, can, he's a, skilled. He's a skilled big man. But man, that's a, I, th- I that's think a we're forgetting matchup. I, I think we're forgetting the Blazer Killer, CJ Miles.
0: Oh, uh, he is my X factor if we're talking Toronto Raptors. Yeah, because he, he does.
1: he's a killer. He shoots three pointers very, very, very well. I mean, did I ma- have I ever made the joke that don't Google CJ Miles because it's also a porn star's name? I think I have. I think you have. <laughs> Damn it, man. <laughs> Well, it is, so kids be careful about that one.
0: It's going to be interesting because this is the second time these two teams have already seen each other. Toronto played, I think, in Hawaii against the Clippers in the preseason and then started coming, making their way back west, and actually the second preseason game was in Portland, which Portland won 106-101. Granted, DeMar DeRozan and CJ Miles and OG did not play, but, you know... Norman Powell, Kyle Lowry, all played 25 minutes. Uh, Valanchunas and Ibaka got got quality time in there as well. And it was really the first time we saw in the preseason Portland clicking. And that was the, the lineup they they went with. They had Aminu and Harkless. You know they were starting a bunch of all their different lineups. That was the first time they went traditional, and it worked well. And they were swinging the ball, and it was only a a scrub comeback that allowed the Raptors to make that game respectable. They outscored us by 11 in that fourth quarter when we had like the third and fourth stringers in there. But early on, Aminu was hitting. And if, if he's hitting and bringing Ibaka out of the paint, that's going to open up that pick and roll <clears throat> for Nurk. With, with Damon Nurk. And you want Valentinus moving laterally. You want him moving around on defense. You do not want him packed in the paint. So this isn't a game where you dump it into Nurk. I think this is a game where you put Balanchunas in that pick and roll setting all night long so not only do you have a bucket out of the paint but you got Balanchunas out there and I don't care who they have in in Toronto you're not stopping Damon CGA from getting buckets in in the lane and then you've also got Evan Turner who I think again you know we mentioned his name a lot Uh, Norman Powell is just not big enough to Mm. to handle EET down low Um, I'm as, as much as we all wanted OG in the draft he's not ready to handle Evan Turner I don't think they have have an answer for him. So if if the Blazer backcourt can utilize that pick and roll, get into the paint, and if they want to pack the paint, kick it out to the shooters, I think three-point shooting is going to be my big key because if we're efficient, they're really going to have no choice on defense. It's going to be Portland's world, and they're just going to have to deal with it. However, if Portland's threes aren't dropping, they're going to really pack that paint and make Portland beat them from the perimeter.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I, I just think it's a schedule loss. That's a lot of time away from... From your house, man, your routines. I'm going Blazers victory, and it might be a big one just because of how mentally tired it is from being away from home for so... Mentally tiring. It Who is. guards
0: DeRozan if you're Portland? Whew. It's gotta be heartless, right? It's
1: gotta be, yeah. And then you put CJ on Norman? I'd go with that. Yeah. And then is Chief gonna start against Surge?
0: Yeah, Surge isn't gonna back anybody down.
1: So you're like not shoot. really scared of him doing anything inside the paint anymore.
0: Yeah, he shoots jump shots. Yeah. So we, who who's your X Factor? First off,
1: I think staying is staying disciplined an X Factor because I think no, that, oh, no, that's a cop you, out, X Factor. Oh, you you want me to actually say players? Okay. Yeah. Um. I'm going. Mo Harkless versus Norman Powell in the post. I'm going
0: now. I'm going. al Rukuminu shooting jump shots, which scares the living <laughs> fuck out of yeah, me. Man, because,
1: that, that's, a, that's a risky proposition there, man.
0: But um, Milwaukee dared him to beat us. Or Milwaukee dared Alf to beat it's them. It's late, bro. It's all good. <laughs> and he didn't do it. Yeah. I think if, if he's not able to shoot the three, it's going to be a tougher victory. If he's able to shoot the three, we might win by, by double digits. I, I think Portland... I, I'm not banking on chief to hit the threes. It's the it's max factor though. Um, I think Portland, again, it's going to be a close week. So whether you got the Tums, the Pepto, the roll aids, whatever, get them ready. Because I think this one could go down to the wire. If chief's not hitting, I, I do think Portland wins regardless. I've got them going four and I think they ha- really have to go four. zero. if, if we're being perfectly honest and looking at the schedule, the rest of, of November, <clears throat> these are games they're gonna look back and really wish they had and i hope they seize the moment um carpe diem that bitch go 4-0 let's go 6-1 and heading into next week what do you got my friend
1: can we just address the fact that our broadcasters talk <clears throat> about hip-hop way too much
0: that is <clears throat> i've got a couple of beefs that is on there as well because it happens every game, and it is the same... It's
1: the most whack conversation I could possibly hear from a fucking old white dude who doesn't know the culture, and I don't know if Lamar listens to hip-hop, but he doesn't listen to the shit I listen to, and that shit's very annoying for me.
0: It's the same (laughs) shtick. You've got young black announcer hip trying to talk to old white guy about hip-hop. I mean, it's... it's not fucking 1996 anymore. Like the, the spiel has been done. It's been, it's not funny. It's, it's just talk about the fucking game. Like I know Mike and Mike would go on in tangents, but at least it was different tangents. Like this just is like, it feels scripted. It feels forced. Like no. And my second beef is with fucking Kevin Calabro. When Victor Oladipo had that insane alley oop, it was great. He got more excited for that alley oop than I think I've ever heard him get excited for any Trailblazer play.
1: You know what's crazy? He was a better announcer in that TBT, uh, the Portland versus Utah game, than he was when he gets paid by the franchise.
0: Yep, he's not.
1: And he still had his weird fucking. Yes. Weird sh- stuff that he talks about. But he, like, knew Scottie Pippen, he knew Smith, he knew – like, he got excited about both teams pretty equally. Now it's just like – I don't want to say that he's just, like, not caring.
0: He's not a trailblazer. Yeah. He's it, a Seattle Supersonic, and that's fine. That was who he came up with. That's like if Bill Shonley were to go to another team. Bill Shonley's not a Phoenix Sun. He's a fucking trailblazer. Like, we know that, and that, that's fine that that collab was a Sonic. That's where he made so many of his his famous calls. That's why so many of us were like, why did you let Mike and Mike go? They were trailblazers. Mm. They got excited. And And I get it. For all the shit that Mike Rice got for mispronouncing names or not knowing who players were, Calabro's worse, dude. He can't even tell Damon CJ apart sometimes.
1: I mean, I get it. Hey, I probably should not be saying stuff when – I wasn't originally a trailblazer, but man, like at least I've like at least show some passion about the team that is paying you probably a pretty damn good salary for being on the air for eighty two, well probably like seventy eight games, but like it, it it's whack, man. I I I never listen to the broadcasts, but it's tough. even um, when I do now, it's just like whack hip hop stuff. Like who gives a shit about two chains? I'm trying to watch a game. I don't give a shit about like I know hey, talk about Dame's record, but don't talk about random rappers that aren't affiliated with the star player in any way. It's just whack to me.
0: I wholeheartedly agree, and I think that's gonna be a major beef of mine until I mean for the for the foreseeable future. Um but you said you had the Blazers winning, right?
1: Against Toronto, yeah, schedule it.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, it, it's late. So it's yeah. It's so
1: fucking late right now. <laughs> oh man.
0: Since we recorded this kind of on a whim, started with me texting Sage, hey, if we record tomorrow, can you get it up before you leave for your flight? <laughs> Fuck. Probably not. <laughs> hey, do you want to record at around ten thirty? Okay. And here we are, 1157. Uh, I think it's about time to wrap it up. Uh, due to this nature, we unfortunately do not have any fan questions. But we are going to come with you live. Not really live, but we'll be doing it live in in person because we're over Skype most of the time. After the Blazers-Pelicans game. My guy's going to be here. We're going to record an episode pretty much just talking shit, doing knee-jerk reactions, not really predicting the other games because we already did it on this episode. It's just going to be a special one-off recording, and hopefully we're, we're talking about a Blazer win. If we're not, I'm going to be a sad panda You're gonna and say... going to be eight. drunk. <laughs> I'm going to be taking pulls off some red wine. Um... But but it's not going to happen. Portland's going to win their 17th <laughs> straight home opener. Sage is going to be equally happy as he is sad, and it's going to be a Just fun. Just no fun injuries.
1: Aspect. I do not want to see injuries. I will be a devastated podcaster if a person gets hurt.
0: Yeah, no injuries, but it's going to be fun. Uh, opening night is like Christmas to me. <clears throat> whole fam's coming up. Whole squad. Uh, can't wait. But if you have questions for that episode, you know we'll we'll tweet those out and uh, send us your thoughts. Sage, it's been real, but I think it's time to close this one out. Uh, for all our fans out there listening, thank you. Uh, you can continue to do so on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We are at Holy Backboard PDX. Give us that five star rating. Subscribe to that podcast. Uh, we're also on social: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Holy Backboard. That's all I've got, Sage. I would love to record probably forty-eight hours or so. Yeah, maybe a little bit less. And Yo, it's another place for victory. Uh,
1: shout out to stupendous, the friend of the show. He finally became a uh, sponsored streamer for the stream site that he puts content on. So he's finally made it in the big time. He's like, you can offer him five dollars a month to like watch his shit. And I'm really proud of him for all of his hard work. And normally I take this time to promote my own shit. But I'm really proud of Stu for his hard work in the streaming community. Um, fuck it, I'll talk about me. <laughs> I'm going to start streaming my 2K games. So if you want to follow me, it's Mixer.com slash Sage504. And you can hear me bitch about my teammates and talk about sports. So... Yeah. Shout, shout out Stu.
0: Shout out West Albany. Shout out Sage. Shout out Portland getting their 17th straight home opening victory coming on Tuesday night. Uh, let's get it done, Rips.
1: Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go.